Welcome to the Parental Development Podcast. I'm Leah. And I'm Becca. And we're two sisters, one with kids. And one without. One with questions. And one with answers. One who's a licensed psychologist. And one who just wants everyone to hear what she has to say. We both have a heart to see parents succeed and kids thrive. In this podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of topics, all with the goal of promoting conversation and learning. Thanks for joining us. Let's chat. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Full disclosure, we're both a little scratchy and a little hacky this this morning as we're recording this episode. So bear with us. (laughs) We did all the me, 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 me's before. You hear my cough drop? Rolling around in my mouth. So, but anyway, we're here and we're glad you're here as always. I have no idea what we're talking about. We didn't even debrief before we started recording. So, yes, you do. We talked about it last week. Well, we had two options and you didn't say. Oh, well, let me do my what in the week first. Because this one might take a little. No boy. Take a little bit. (laughs) It's always a good sign. (laughs) I know. Okay, so follow up from last week when... I still am having my niece fairly regularly because mm-hmm. my sister's laid up with her knee surgery. So it means I have three children, which is something I never wanted to do. <laughs> and so she's four, Sawyer's six, Lincoln's nine. Okay. When I have the two boys, they are to the ages now where they're getting along much better than they did even like. I don't know, six months to a year ago. And sometimes Journey and Sawyer play beautifully together. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I am convinced they are going to kill each other. (laughs) And it just is a crapshoot, depends on the day. And so Journey has been staying overnight with Joe at our mom's house. But then I pick her up for school. She's in the car with us. She stays with us sometimes, but it's kind of like back and forth now. Mm -hmm. So one morning and afternoon to and from school. So in the car, have the two boys. We're fine. We have a pretty good, knock on wood, morning morning and afternoon routine. We listen to music. They have their activities they do in the car. All those kinds of things. The minute Journey steps foot in that car... It is like we have entered another level of hell. (laughs) And what happens is Lincoln, who really adores all young children, has a special place in his soft, big heart for Journey. And so he cannot tolerate it if anyone is mean to her, yells at her, hits her like he loses his mind if she cries he will give her anything she wants (laughs) and so in the car nine times out of ten the source of journey's stress is sawyer and so then that makes lincoln go after sawyer oh boy and so and you know any parent or anyone who drives kids anywhere it's terrible because you can't get back there And you can't really see what's happening. Mm -hmm. And you can't make them stop. Like you can't normally, I would separate them. You know, you can't do anything because you're driving. I have been known to pull the car over. But it just turns into a little bit of a free-for-all back there. Mm -hmm. And so over the course of a couple days, as this continued to happen, and then I would try to talk to the boys of like, what is going on? But Sawyer would get so mad, he would scream, They're both being mean to me. Everybody's being mean to me. Nobody even wants me in this family. (laughs) Bub never protects me. He always protects Journey. (laughs) And so it was like this constant, but then like they're just hitting each other. If Sawyer hits Journey, then Lincoln hits Sawyer. (laughs) It's a disaster. So I felt like after that outburst that Sawyer had, which was an outburst and If you know my little guy, Sawyer, he knows how to do those very well. (laughs) And so how he was communicating that was not really appropriate. But I learned, I learned what he, what his thoughts were. Mm -hmm. And so then at our nightly meeting, I talked to him about you feel like when it's just you and Lincoln, 
he's fine with you. But then the minute Journey shows up, he chooses her over you. And he was like, yeah, then they're both mean to me. And they try to get me in trouble. And Bub always protects her. And he never says anything to me. And when she hits me, he doesn't do anything. <laughs> and so I was like, that that is, which is true. Mm-hmm. It's 100% true. And if, like at school, if someone hits Sawyer, Lincoln would go after them. Mm-hmm. He's very protective of him as long as Journey's not there. So, okay. So I talked to Sawyer, had a conversation about, okay, buddy, can we figure out a different way to tell him that or to like respond to that because you can't just hit her and expect everything to be okay. So we're working on that. So then I go to Lincoln, which right, he's nine, he's almost 10. He is a good critical thinker. (laughs) So I thought like, let's have a conversation with him. So I started talking with him and I said, the first thing I said is, listen, I need you to understand that just because someone's feelings are hurt does not mean you're necessarily doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. But when people we love and care about tell us that something we're doing is hurting their feelings, we want to pay attention to that. Like we want to hear that and respond to that and do something different if we can. Mm -hmm. Because I really didn't want, I think this would be a really easy situation to blame Lincoln. Right. And make him feel really bad that he's making the situation worse, which he is. It does make it worse. It starts like a whole nother level. But ultimately, he's not doing anything wrong. He is protecting his little baby cousin, which, of course, I want him to to do. Mm -hmm. I want him to do that always. Mm -hmm. So then we talked about just what Sawyer said, that he feels like it makes him feel like Lincoln doesn't care about him and that he loves Journey more than him and all those things. And so... I talked through about like, that's why usually in those situations, my usual response to Lincoln is, buddy, I don't need your help right now. I've got this. I want to say like, I'm the parent. You're the child. But then he usually says, oh, you got this? Well, he just hit her. So really, do you have this? (laughs) (laughs) Which is another thing we're working on. (laughs) So we talked through it a lot and Lincoln... Lincoln, I think, heard that and we were able to say, so like, how do you think we can do this? What do you think we should do differently? And he was able to say, like, she's just so little and I just, I feel like I need to protect her. And I said, yeah, I know, buddy. I And I want you to do that. And it's hurting Sawyer's feelings. And so let's just pay more attention to that. So to me, it was a good illustration of how to help them resolve conflict, even when like they're not together, right? Like we didn't resolve it together. Right. I tried that and it didn't go real well because they both get so hyped. And this did not magically change overnight. Like the next day, Lincoln was not like, oh, okay, I remember mom telling me that this makes Sawyer upset and so I'm not going to do this anymore. And Sawyer saying like, I need to use different words and communicate better with Lincoln. That didn't happen. Same thing happened the next day. But... As I continue to have those conversations with both of them, I can hear how they're understanding it is changing and it's giving us a good language for all the things we talk about, about how to have relationships and how to hear, you know, how to hear things you're doing that hurt another person's feelings and how to change that and all that kind of stuff without taking full responsibility for their feelings, Mm -hmm. which I think is important. So it was just a really, it was a pretty complex situation that I talked through with both of them, but I thought it was a good illustration of how to try to have some of those conversations, not saying I did all that perfectly. They're still hitting each other every other time I turn around, but we're working on some things and hopefully laying the ground groundwork for that getting better in the future. I think about like um, when we were little and how... Similar scenarios, right? Whether it was specifically for me, I remember thinking there was one thing that I enjoyed doing and it was kind of like my thing. And when anybody else tried to be a part of that, as a child, it felt like, well, that's my thing. And I don't want, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, not that that was my identity, but that's something that I enjoyed doing. And so anytime anybody else wanted to do that thing, 
as a kid, it felt like somebody was taking something away from me. I understand now as an adult, that's not, that's not rational. That's not right. But that's how I felt as a child. And so my response to that was to lash out or be mean or whatever that looked like to that other sibling of mine who just wanted to do something that I already did or was doing. But the response from our parents was it completely invalidated, not well, yeah, it did. It invalidated the way I felt and just went after my response to someone else and what that made them feel, which was wrong. I mean, I can recognize that now, but as a kid, I didn't. It was just, this is how I feel. And so I'm going to lash out. How that translates now is, I mean, I even say this at work all the time. Like my friends at work will say something to me jokingly that I hurt their feelings or that whatever. And I cannot let that go because I'm a hyper fixate on that and own that. I feel like that's legitimately my fault. Like, and, and I replay that over and over and over in my mind thinking I didn't mean it that way. How, how did that come across that way? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you know, I think it's super important that we do what you did with Lincoln. Like just because somebody gets their feelings hurt does not mean that you were doing something wrong or that that was your fault. Obviously we want to pay attention to that, but as you've said over and over and over again, I think it's super important that we teach our children that we are not responsible for the feelings of others. Yeah. We obviously want to be compassionate and empathetic and understanding, but I'm telling you as a 42-year-old woman, like, I wish I was free from that. And I'm working towards that, but I'm not. And that comes from being made to feel that I was responsible for my siblings' feelings, my parents' feelings, my friends' feelings. That that was put on to me. And that's an impossible burden to bear and will take years of work to undo. Yeah. 100%. And it is, like you said, through all that, you can chase the behavior, Mm -hmm. which, you know, your behavior, your response in childhood was wrong. Mm -hmm. Yep. We can all agree with that. Sawyer's response is wrong. Mm -hmm. Lincoln's response, sometimes wrong. The behavior is wrong. But if I only chase the behavior and punish the behavior and correct the behavior, I miss... The fact that now, you know, in your case, you had a child who felt, I don't know, less than, less important, uh, minimized, that kind of thing. I have a child who feels left out Mm -hmm. and unimportant and not part of the group. And I have another child that feels sad and empathetic and that kind of thing. And feels justified in all those behaviors because they don't know what else to do because they're children. And again, it goes back to what we talked about last week. Those are normal feelings in life of feeling less than or left out Mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. And if I only correct that behavior for Sawyer, I lose the opportunity completely to teach him what to do when you feel left out or minimized, or hurt, or fill in the blank, then he still doesn't know how else to do that. Mm -hmm. Other than he lashes out. He is a, he is an externalizer. He will go after somebody. He is quick with his wit and his tongue, and he will cut a person (laughs) verbally, or he'll punch someone. Lincoln goes internal, and he is shameful Mm -hmm. and hard on himself and thinks he's terrible and all those things. And so that's the behavior really that I care more about. Mm -hmm. I don't really care about the back and forth. I do because it drives me crazy. But you just lose all those opportunities for them to then as they grow up, like you said, generalize how to do that differently. Oh, I have felt like this before. Mm -hmm. And when I responded this way, that didn't feel very good or I got in trouble. And when I responded this way, this is better for me. That's also what we talk about with through that like experiential learning, Mm -hmm. right? Of helping them have those experiences. When I feel X, I do Y. And that starts to make those connections in their brain and in their body. So they do that next time. And 
to just chase that behavior a lot of times can just pile shame on top Mm -hmm. of that, right? Like Mm -hmm. when you were a child and you get corrected for that, it's not a, a sense of, I totally understand why you did that. I get it. I hear you. And this behavior is not appropriate. Mm-hmm. What you do is you pile on, you are so bad. I can't believe you would do that to another person. Mm-hmm. How dare you mm-hmm. treat someone that way? And so then it's shame on top of shame on top of guilt mm-hmm. and just junk. Yep. And then you just bury kids under well, hell, now I don't I don't know what to do and I must just be a terrible person. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like a double whammy of crap. Mm-hmm. That's really hard for a young child to navigate through. There's nowhere to go for, for them. Yeah. How are they supposed to know what to do with that? Yeah. So it's just all of it is important. And then the whole not being responsible for another person is... I think one of the best things we can do for our kids, Mm -hmm. and we're not very good at that as parents, I don't think a lot of us, we do make them responsible Mm -hmm. for us and for their siblings. And I can hear people saying, well, you were responsible for them getting hurt. He is responsible for Journey being hurt. Yes, he is not responsible for how she responds to that. Mm -hmm. Lincoln is not responsible for Sawyer getting so mad that he hits somebody. His behavior contributed to Sawyer being mad. Yep. But he's not responsible for how he responds to that. And I think part of being a good human and being good in relationship with other people is recognizing the difference in that Mm -hmm. of like, oh my goodness, I... I care about you. I don't want to I don't want you to feel bad mm-hmm. because of something I did. But if you then go out and do something wrong as a result of that, that is not my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that's a tricky tricky line and balance to walk. For sure. Yeah, and I think too, if you go after like if you would have just gone after Lincoln and you repeatedly just go after Lincoln, who's coming from a good place, trying to do the right thing, whatever. I think then, too, you potentially foster this resentment between the two. Yeah. Which you don't want because neither one of them, both of them feel they're justified. They both feel that they're right. But if you only, if you don't even have a conversation about why each of them feels the way they do or what is, what's causing the thing, you just go after this behavior that is unacceptable then you do create this potential resentment between the two. Right. And it leaves, as a parent, it leaves you in the position of like choosing sides. Right. Yeah. Or especially in their minds, choosing sides. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. If I don't come down hard enough on Lincoln, I'm choosing sides. And if I don't grab Sawyer up because he is hitting people, then I'm choosing sides. Mm-hmm. And my kids know now Lincoln often will come and tell me something that's happening and I'll just look at him and he goes, I know, we have to figure it out ourselves. <laughs> and I say like, yep, I need you to figure it out. Otherwise, I need you to separate and like, mm-hmm. you're just going to have to play separately then or one of you can come in here with me or whatever. But yeah, it validates one mm-hmm. more than the other because what you said is they both think they're right. They both are right. Right. They both are right. Mm-hmm. If I could, like, one thing for the world, if I could just, like, spread it all, is the fact that two things can be true at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I mean, I think it would just solve so many of our problems. Agreed. As just a a humanity. They are both right. Mm -hmm. Sawyer does get left out. Lincoln chooses Journey every time. And... Lincoln has a right to protect Journey. There's a part of me that's glad he's back there because I can't see what's happening. Mm-hmm. And Sawyer does. He he just hits her when I'm not looking. And so they are both right. But if I don't recognize that and I only think Lincoln is right because he's protecting Journey from physical harm, mm-hmm. it'd be real easy to just go right. that way yep. because cause it's safety. It's physical safety. And I could push Sawyer further and further away by saying I don't care and I do say it doesn't matter what you think we don't hit people like I don't you can be mad you cannot hit another person so it would be really easy to choose that and in the same breath it would be easy to tell Lincoln he's your brother 
You mm-hmm. should stick up for him no matter what. You should always be on his side. So, yeah, I, I could easily go either direction. And truth be told, on my bad days, I probably do. Mm-hmm. I probably do more easily go one way or the other, which only contributes further to their... Right. Each of their negative feelings mm-hmm. about whatever it is that's happening because... Right. Then you have your your mom, yeah. your person telling you what you're doing is so wrong. Yeah. Then you got to undo all that. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go now into our topic of choice. I knew that what in the week was going to take a minute. <laughs> this may be a little longer episode. Sorry, Benny. Last week was short. So it all balances out. Oh, sure. It'll <laughs> balance out. Sorry you have to listen to my hacking and sniffing and manliness this week, though. All right. We're going to talk about Climbing, which seems like such a small <laughs> thing that like, how's that? How's that a topic? Well, Becca, do you want to tell like how this became a topic? Okay. Yeah. A friend of mine was telling me a story about a child that repeatedly climbs on everything, climbs, climbs everything. You name it, they try and climb it. And so as a parent, she feels like all she does is is chase this child around, trying to keep them from hurting themselves. And so it started this conversation that we had about, like, what, where's the balance, right? Like, you want to, like, we've talked about natural consequences are a thing, and we feel like that's the best way that kids learn. But we also don't want to take children into the hospital for concussions or stitches or we don't want them to hurt themselves so where's the balance and so you know that's why I called you and I was like what do you do with this because it's a val- I mean it's a valid concern and I think it's I don't know want to say triggering but it does amp us up as adults because of the safety factor you know what I'm asking yeah so that's where it came from well the first thing I want to say about it is we're real good as adults of thinking things are safety concerns when really I'm not sure they are. When we have kids, our bar for safety gets real, real low. And I can't remember if I've said this on a on an episode before. I was listening to some early childhood educator that specializes in child development and that kind of thing said, really the, the last time our kids get to explore and take risks without our intervention is when they're learning to walk. Yeah. And that that is the last time we don't say be careful, you might fall down, don't toddle, don't don't try to take a step, it's too dangerous, sit down. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. We actually encourage the risk taking and encourage the falling because we understand that's part of development. Right. And that really is the last time We do that wholeheartedly as adults with young children. And so a lot of times our kids are appropriately exploring both themselves and their environment. And we, through our adult eyes, see safety concerns when really those aren't present. And so I guess my first challenge to adults and parents would be like, is it really a safety concern or are you uncomfortable? And most of the time that I have seen children have any kind of injuries is not from something that we would say is a huge safety concern. Lincoln broke his elbow at one of those jump house places. You know, when I was a kid, I broke my thumbs playing dodgeball. Both of them. (laughs) Both of them at the same time. And I broke my arm because my friend Tina tripped me when we were racing through her driveway. (laughs) And so these are things as childhood, right? Like most childhood injuries happen from something that is not a major safety concern. They're just normal things. So I think sometimes adults use that to try and like box kids in more. So that would be my first challenge is like really consider like what is an actual safety concern. I believe falls and trips and all that kind of stuff are part of development and healthy and yes, natural in consequence, within reason, right? Like I don't, I may not let them climb to the highest branch in a tree, although once they're up there, there ain't nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. So 
Here are the things I want to say about climbing. Climbing is a absolutely natural childhood development activity, a hundred percent. That does not mean that every child needs to climb everything, but most kids climb to some degree, which if you look at our parks, people who design our parks likely know something about childhood development. Mm -hmm. And so why do they have things that kids can climb? The little, even how you get onto the structure. There are stairs for kids who don't like to climb, but then there's usually three or four options Mm -hmm. for kids to climb to the first level. And then there's those bigger structures like the little domes that they climb over and under. And Do they even have those anymore? I mean, yeah. I mean, I see them. They're probably on older parks. Yeah. But if you look at a park, Mm -hmm. like even a, a new park, those are designed by kids who understand or people who understand kids and the fact that there are so many climbing structures high or not should give you insight into what typical development is like because that's who those things are designed for right that's not just an accident that those things are there okay so why do why do kids climb like i said they're exploring the world and their body so climbing uses different muscles than almost anything, right? It uses your shoulders and your arms differently. It uses your core for balance to have to climb. It can be really important for motor skills, gross motor and fine motor skills. Mm -hmm. And again, is a part of normal development. Most kids don't climb forever. It usually is a fairly short period of development that they are all over every thing now you also may get some kids that that is like they start climbing and they never stop because it feels so good to them it feels good to their body and so that's a separate portion of kids most kids it's an exploratory developmental stage that they get through and then they move on to other developmental stages or and climbing is not as big of a part of that Mm -hmm. when you say that some kids climb longer than others because it feels good to their body. And I think I asked you this offline when we were having a phone conversation about this, but is that adrenaline, like a a rush, like uh, the riskiness of it that you're talking about? Or are you talking about something else? Uh, it could be. I don't think kids feel it's risky. Okay. There's a whole school of thought. I tend to agree with this. We teach kids what is risky. Mm. And they internally, instinctually would know when they reach their limit of ability and back down. We as adults make them afraid of things. And so I don't think most kids prior to parents saying like, no, 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 that's dangerous. Be careful. I don't think most kids know that that is risky. Say more about that. To climb on a table. What do you mean? You said instinctually they would know where their limit are or limits are and they would back off or they would stop without us saying anything. Say more about that. Yeah, I believe kids, I think kids know how to trust their bodies. And I think their bodies send them signals. I think, again, there's this whole movement. Maybe you've seen it. There's tons of memes and stuff on social media of like, stop telling kids to be careful. Instead, draw their attention to what you think they need to pay attention to. So instead of uh, be careful on that rock, you might say, now look, that rock that rock might be slippery because there's water on it. That's very different mm-hmm. of pay attention to the ice on the driveway there. I see ice. Just pay attention to that ice because that might be slippery. That's very different than, oh, be careful of that ice. That statement alone, be careful right there, creates a sense of fear and anxiety often with adults as the conduit for that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then our kids take that on as opposed to I'm fine, which is what you hear kids say a lot. Like, be careful up there. Like, I'm fine, mom. Mm -hmm. Their body is telling them they're fine. Their body is not telling them they need to be concerned or scared or fearful or they've gone far enough. I believe most of our kids, if you let them go, they will go to the edge of their abilities or where they feel comfortable And then their body will send them danger cues, which Mm -hmm. it is designed to do, to say like, "Eh, maybe I should head the other direction. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I should go back. Or I'm high enough. Or maybe I should get down. Our bodies are designed to sense that kind of thing. And 
sometimes by overly communicating our fear as adults, we don't allow our kids to listen to that part of their body as clearly. Does that help? I think what I hear you saying is that potentially that could stunt their growth in that area of listening. Like, I feel like I'm okay up here, but mom says mom is acting like I'm about to, you know, fall off. So am I not okay? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you could stunt that development of them learning to understand their limits and trust their body. So where, so maybe they would be less apt to push themselves later in life as an adult or even as a teenager or whatever, because I feel like I'm okay, but in the past, my parents didn't seem to agree with my analysis of the situation. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it's the same as all those times we say we do that, right? It's the same as we don't allow kids to listen to their body when they're hungry Mm. or if they're not hungry or when they have to use the bathroom or when they're sad or it's all in that same realm. So the same way I don't let my kids listen to their body when they're hungry, then those hunger cues lose their influence as they get older. Same with if I don't let my kids listen to their body with physical activity or risk, then that those messages just get, they're just not as easy to hear them and respond to them because we, again, it's just to me, it's a broader belief that we just teach our kids not to listen to their bodies. Mm -hmm. We just take that away from them, often in the name of safety. Yeah. What we believe is making them more safe, but their body is actually designed first above everything to keep them safe. And so we don't need to make that stronger. Their body is designed to do that on its own. That is its first goal is to keep them safe. Right. And so we teach them to not listen to their bodies. And in in the extreme cases, we share our anxieties with our kids, which I believe for many parents is like our worst nightmare Mm -hmm. that I'm going to give them my anxiety of X, Y, or Z. And I think part of this climbing and safety thing, I think some of that is how that happens. Mm -hmm. This is probably just a general question you probably don't know the answer to. Well, how high is, but I'm asking, I'm thinking like, okay, how high is too high? Because like I have hardwood floors in my house and climbing up on the ottoman is not, you know, that's not that high, but climbing up on the counter and I remember in your house, I remember because th- you had that pass-through that was probably four feet up in the air. Yep. And I remember you let, I don't know if it was Lincoln or Sawyer, climb up in that thing. And I'm thinking, are you going to get him down? And you didn't. You let him climb up mm-hmm. in that thing. But that was four feet in the air and you had hardwood floors. I did. Yeah, Ben and I disagree on that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I'm not always very good at it, but I try to really let them explore. My bar is if they could die. <laughs> if they fall and they could die, then I'm stepping in. That is, I feel like that's a really I know. High bar. I understand. I understand. Because I believe they, and I, right, I'm there and I do tell them like, now listen, you're pretty high. How are you going to get down? How do you think you should get down from there? But that is my bar. I recognize that's well past what other people would want to do. I think it depends on the age, right? I wouldn't let a two-year-old climb up there. Two-year-old could die. (laughs) Could die from that. My nine-year-old isn't going to die from a three-foot fall. Mm -hmm. He's just not. But he could break his arm. crazy? I mean, some people are going to think you're crazy because he could break his arm from a three-foot fall. He could could break his arm. He He broke his arm at Monkey Joe's. (laughs) That's where he broke his arm. Not in my house, climbing three feet in a... He broke his arm on an inflatable plastic <laughs> device. So, yep, he could break his arm. He's more likely to break his arm lots of other places. So, I don't know. Again, to me, that is like, well, he could he could die and he could break his arm and he could break his foot and he could break his neck and he could... Get a concussion. Yep. Get stitches. Yep. Yep. Yep, he could. And broke his arm at Monkey Joe's. So then if if that really is your bar, then I would say, like, we can't ever go to Monkey Joe's again because he could break his arm there. They could get hurt anywhere. 
So then that's where I think, and again, everybody is going to be different on this. I'm realizing now that I'm a little extreme, apparently, in my in my desire to let them explore. Well, I think it makes sense. But there's got to be, otherwise you'd put them in a bubble. Yeah. And all you, you end up, all you do is chase your kids around, trying to keep them from potentially. Well, that's true. Getting hurt, which what you just said, I think it makes total sense. Like I managed, and I was a pretty rowdy kid. Like I love to be outside, mm-hmm. climb trees, like all the things. I managed to go 40 years of my life without breaking a bone or getting stitches and was hiking last summer, two summers ago, and tripped over a tree root and busted my knee open and had to get right. six stitches, which I'm thinking of all the right. dumb things I've done in my life. And that's how we go down. Right. But it makes sense when you say it like that. But I think that's hard as parents to, again, like with what we said last week, because you want to protect your kids at all costs. Yes. And I don't fault anybody for saying no. you're a looney tune. Yeah, you are a looney And tune. my <laughs> kids will not be climbing four feet in the air. No judgment. No judgment. You can work yourself into like a frenzy mm-hmm. if you are always concerned about them getting hurt because mm-hmm. they can get hurt anywhere. I mean, like we've known kids that like trip up the stairs in their house or mm-hmm. they fall out of the car or, mm-hmm. you know, they these like fluke random household accidents, which I'd have to look up the stats. I would be curious to know what the stats are. Is the are. majority yeah. of how kids get hurt. Mm-hmm. When Lincoln did break his arm, they said, how did he do it? And I told them, and they said the two main ways kids break their arms that they see, this was a big children's hospital, was trampolines and monkey bars. Mm. So if you got those two things or one or the other – the odds of your kids breaking their arm are much, much higher than anything else because that is, at least at that hospital, the two main ways that kids come in with broken arms, mm-hmm. trampolines and monkey bars. So again, I just think it's like we just convince ourselves that that's what we're doing when really what I have found in those instances is it is my own anxiety mm-hmm. that if I can manage that, then I'm okay with letting them explore and do and do all the things because I think that's important. I want them, I don't want them to be like scared all the time. Yeah. I want them to learn to take risks and I want them to push their bodies and I want them to have fun and I want them to try new things. Mm-hmm. And they can't do that if every time they take a step, I'm like, oh, be careful. You're going to break your arm. Mm-hmm. I just think there's got to be a balance somewhere. And again, you don't have to come to my extreme. <laughs> I don't recommend it for very many things. It's lonely over there. It, it is. That's true. <laughs> Even in my own home can be lonely over here. But I do think there's an understanding of like how kids develop and how yeah. all that happens. Yeah. I think can be important. Yeah. I'll try to look up the percentage of injuries in childhood. I am certain it is a large percentage is just like household accidents. Well, that I mean, that would make sense because isn't it like, and I'm I could be making this up out of my head, but I feel like I've heard or read this somewhere. Like the people that are afraid of flying and of the plane crashing, the odds of that happening are significantly less than any number like lightning striking or something like that. It's like we have these irrational fears of this. This is the thing. This is the way I'm going out. And it would have to be pretty. I don't know. Well, you're much more likely to get hurt in a car accident yeah. than in a plane crash. Yeah. For sure, statistically. Right. But we put our kids in cars every single day. Yeah, that's true. That's the thing. It's just like, to me, it's just a mindset. Yeah. And there are probably other things that I am over, like over the top on that other people would say, like, why do you even care about that? This is just one that I, I do my best. And I, again, I'm not very good at it. This has probably been something that I've been focusing on over the last year of if you just take account every day, how many times do you tell your kids to be careful? Which again, usually is a lot, but what are they supposed to be careful of? Like, what are you telling them to be careful of? Are they too high? Is there something they can trip on? Are they yeah, being irresponsible? Like, what are they supposed to be careful of? So be careful is also like very vague and doesn't really help our kids decide how careful, why, when, where. 
if you could be more descriptive, usually that can be helpful. Well, isn't that true with everything, right? So rather than saying, don't do that, tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. Because be careful. Okay, why? What you said, like that rock is slick. Just pay attention to that. Or that you're getting pretty high. Just recognize where you are. Or pay attention. Give them things to focus on rather than this ambiguous statement like that they have no idea why you're saying it right right yeah and then it helps with problem solving right right? of like you're getting high have you thought about how you're going to get down Mm -hmm. or you're getting really high does that still feel safe to you Mm -hmm. because it sure as hell doesn't feel safe to me (laughs) but does it feel safe to you okay then i'm gonna trust your little body to tell you when that feels unsafe Mm -hmm. and i believe most kids know that Mm -hmm. We just don't give them the opportunity to do that. Yeah. So most of our kids are not climbing to like the highest branch in a tree because something tells them, I'm good. I'm Mm -hmm. good here. And I'm going to go back down. Mm -hmm. So we just don't let them do it. And for all those things we've talked about, I I just think it's important that even if we're not going to make drastic changes, that we could at least start paying attention and communicating it a little bit differently as parents instead of it only being my bar of fear. Yeah. Because for some of us, our bar of fear has been tainted mm-hmm. by negative experiences that we've had, right? Yeah. Like my, what I think is scary is different because of all the things I've been through. And I don't, none of us want to put all that on our kids. Yeah. And so saying be careful is kind of a simple one. Yeah. Okay, let's talk real quick about some of the other just like, physiological things climbing does for our kids it actually helps develop their sensory systems so right we learned in one of our episodes we have more than five senses we actually have very many but eight we have eight sensory systems that really kind of the main ones and climbing helps develop their proprioceptive system Mm -hmm. that's where your body is in space so being aware of your body and movement in relation to where you are And your vestibular system, which is balance and movement related to your inner ear. Mm -hmm. So climbing actually is very good for developing those two sensory systems. And for some kids, the pressure felt in climbing is regulatory to them Mm. because of those sensory systems, right? So the pulling, if I'm hanging or I'm climbing, the pulling on my shoulders or my hips or my knees... All of that and the movement and balance of my body based on where I am in space can actually be regulatory for them. Hmm. We do not think of that very often. No. But that's interesting. Based on those sensory systems, that that's what we know about that. And so I talked about how this is developmentally appropriate for all kids. If you have certain kids that are that have sensory processing difficulties or are sensory seeking, they may climb more because they are seeking the big pressure, pulling, big movements associated with climbing because that regulates their body and their system in a way that other activities don't. Hmm. That's interesting. Right? So we have a lot of kids that you know, we do occupational therapy, but like for trauma mm-hmm. and for kids that have like social emotional problems, that kind of thing. And part of their intervention is climbing. We have a rock wall in our like OT gym and they climb the rock wall and mm. they'll climb a rope swing or they will. Climbing is actually a prescribed intervention because it gets those systems activated and for many of our kids can help regulate. So we could probably do a whole other episode on sensory processing. It is not my huge area of expertise. I know a little bit about it mainly as it relates to trauma. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to know that climbing and that sort of activity, big movement activity is developmentally appropriate for younger kids. I believe if you have an older kid, let's say, I don't know, seven and up, maybe, that is still doing these big movements in a way that is like they're like running out of class to go climb something or Mm -hmm. they're like it's just this kind of like seeking Mm -hmm. seeking this out always Mm -hmm. then it may be that they have that sensory need that isn't being met in other ways 
and is a sign that we need to meet that need, maybe in a different way or in a more regular way. So playgrounds, gymnastics, you can create like an indoor crash pad. Like some kids, this sounds, I think some people don't believe this would be a thing, but we've put crash pads like on the wall, like a crash pad is just a big gym mat, you know? Some kids like to just run into the wall mm-hmm. because they like the pressure and the they like the pressure on their body of running into the wall, like a mini trampoline, a pull-up bar, like one of those doorway mm-hmm. pull-up bars. Those kinds of things are giving the same sensory input to a child in a way that I think for a lot of us as parents would feel less dangerous mm-hmm. than, like you said, climbing to the top of a tree or whatever. So if you're uncomfortable with where your kid is climbing, instead of trying to make them not climb because their body is telling them they need to climb, we absolutely believe that because behavior is language. Mm-hmm. And so if if they're climbing, their body's saying like, either that looks fun, which might be it, or that feels good to me. I want to keep climbing. And so if climbing on the kitchen table is uncomfortable for you or climbing on the top of the couch which again is fine, especially if you have real young kids. I don't recommend the intervention of like, you just can't climb Mm. because it's always unsafe. You have to find ways to let them climb safely. And so whether that is creating a fort somewhere and letting them climb and putting blankets all around it. So if they do fall, you're less concerned about them really hurting themselves or you take them to a playground or you supervise them really closely in case they fall. Like, You have to find a way to meet the need anyway. Just saying stop climbing. I don't know a parent that would say like that worked. I just told them to stop climbing and they never (laughs) climbed again. Because their body, they just need to climb. Mm -hmm. They need to climb. It's completely normal. It's actually good developmentally for their systems. And so it's all about finding a way to let them do that. Where you feel comfortable. You feel like they're safe. And it's something you don't have to like hover around them all the time. That's also part of the problem, Mm -hmm. I think, is that, right, I need to go make dinner and I can't have you climbing through the pass-through when I'm down the hall or something. Mm -hmm. And so finding a way that you feel safe doing that or more comfortable feeling like the odds of them really hurting themselves are lessened, I think is important. Yeah. That's interesting to think about, about the regulatory nature Mm -hmm. that that could give to kids and I just feel like right that's unconventional right yeah especially in a classroom in a school setting to even entertain the idea if you have this kid that runs out of the classroom or that can't sit down or whatever the quote-unquote behavioral issue is rather than sending them to the principal's office or sending them home or you know whatever Let's try some unconventional methods to see if, because my gosh, wouldn't you rather, okay, have the principal take him to the gym and have him run into a crash yep. pad four or five times and then he's fine to go back to class? Like yep. that feels like a, it's unconventional, as unconventional as it sounds, pretty simplistic to like, oh my gosh, yep. that's all it took? Or, oh my gosh, all it took was having a pull-up bar on to, they have those ones you can take up and put down, like, Okay, right. little Johnny's having a hard time today. Let's pull the pull-up bar. Pull yourself up 10 times really quick. You know, like, I just feel like we got to try some things different because especially in the school setting, what we're, what we're doing ain't working so well a lot of times. Well, and, uh, I mean, truth. <laughs> but that's literally what we just, I know you and I talked about climbing and stuff a couple weeks ago and as we were prepping for this, but... We just had a kid we observed in a class that like, that's what he does. He runs and he, then he'll slither on the floor like a snake Mm -hmm. or he'll run around the building Mm -hmm. or he will run into things. And so my colleague and I were trying to say like, okay, can they put in a break and take him to the gym? Is there a crash pad he can run into? Can he do wall pushups? Is there a swing somewhere he can swing on? Because that helps with those systems. So that's, yeah, that's all we do is... There is a reason he's running Mm -hmm. and a reason he's doing these movements that to us seems strange to have a seven or eight year old, you know, slithering around on the floor of a school like a snake. 
There's a reason other than he's bad or he wants to be disruptive or he doesn't want to do his work or he thinks it's funny. Like there's a reason why he's doing that. Right. And so that's true if your kid is in school running out of class or your kid is climbing on your couch and won't stop. Not because they're bad, not because they're disrespectful, not because they're defiant, not because they won't listen. Their body and the messages they get about what their body needs are more important than obeying you. Mm-hmm. And so to us, it's just like, okay, what, huh, what are they getting out of that? Okay, he's getting some kind of big movement. He's getting lots of attention because people are chasing him. He's getting like, right, what is he getting? Mm-hmm. He's getting input, sensory input into his body. Okay, cool. That's really important. Let's figure out a way to meet that need in a different way mm-hmm. and in a way that is safe and comfortable and appropriate and healthy and all those things. And then the need is met and he doesn't have to get it in a way that's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So it again, as always, it is just changing, changing the mindset a little mm-hmm. bit of I don't need to break you of this behavior. I just need to teach you how to do it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And again, if we could just change that little thing, understanding that all behavior is language, then it sounds very dramatic that like we could change the world, but mm-hmm. I believe that. No. <laughs> I believe we we really could. If we just understand that kids are doing the best they can and the behavior is not the problem, they just got, we just have to help them figure out a, a way to do it differently. Yeah. Could be really life-changing, especially for some of our kids that really struggle. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. All right. We took it over the river and through the woods today, but. (laughs) You're so (laughs) dumb. I know. I'm sick. I'm sick. We'll blame it on that. That's right. (laughs) But we appreciate you staying with us and listening to us for another week. And we will be back again next week. Bye guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Parental Development. If you found this helpful at all, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you choose to stream. And if you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, email info at parentaldevelopment.com. We'd love to hear from you to know that someone else is actually listening. And remember, we're all doing the best we can in this parenting thing. So survive the day and keep the kids alive. See you next time.